0: We had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. So now, less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west. And with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high watermark. That place where the wave finally broke
1: and rolled back. Welcome the fuck back to Book Club, everybody. How you doing? My name is Luke, and, uh welcome back to the book club boys podcast uh we just got through chapters five through eight of fear and loathing in las vegas um and i'm joined again by my three bestest buds max sam and adam you guys how we doing
0: doing just great
1: yeah doing just just
2: phenomenal (laughs) Yeah, yeah doing well doing well
1: Great. Well, none of us made enough money on GameStop to uh, to just say "fuck everybody else." We're going to the Bahamas, so we're all still here. Yeah, we hope you guys are all still here. Unfortunately, with us as well. we're all still here doing our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> doing a podcast Listen, for no money that hasn't
2: even gone up yet. <laughs> true. Listen, <laughs> if I had made a lot of money, I would still be here doing the podcast for you guys. Wow, and that's
1: yep. the kind of that's the kind of dedication you get from the Book Club Boys. <laughs>
2: yes. Not the type of dedication that our main character gets for his attorney, unfortunately. Uh, no, the same type of dedication they have uh, for drugs,
1: though. Just for that's true. Every you type know of drug, definitely <laughs> dedicated true. to that. Oh, Adam just showed us a very cute pup that's at his place right now, and uh, yeah, we got a German Shepherd Sam with us. Whoa. Can oh, confirm, extremely cute.
2: <laughs> Sam, she mad cute.
0: Wait, I didn't see? Oh, yep, nice. There she is. Okay. We've nice. yeah. I confirmation <laughs> of the <nice>. cutest
2: level. <laughs> I say... <laughs>
1: well, let's start off and let's just get the chapter summary out of the way. Max is going to take us through just a quick recap of what happened in these four chapters. Another reminder to everybody, um, we spoil shit. Okay. We're talking about the book, so if you haven't read these four chapters, first of all, do your fucking homework. Second of all, we're gonna be spoiling them so if you're okay with just hearing us talk about it that's great if not read the four chapters it took me like 30 minutes this time it's not that big of a deal max for sure hit us with it real quick too if you have children in your car you're listening to this on the stereo
2: there will be cussing there will be lots of references to drugs and sex acts and everything so listen just warning like it's a, it's a little late for that <laughs> yeah, it's a little late it's for the like, cussing part <laughs> I, i'm sure some dad will be like on that you
1: little what? early." i
2: appreciate i had to have a talk with my son last week but i do appreciate it this week getting a warning <laughs> all right <clears throat> so the first chapter we read um which is chapter five was super quick i'm gonna make these really quick by the way just because the chapters are so short i don't want to step on any toes for the rest of the discussion um this one was really quick. It was basically just him still at the race talking about some of the other reporters that are there and having some really weird interactions with them. And also being. I actually don't know if he's on drugs. And this part is the only part of the book that I was unsure if he was on drugs or not. And then it, it ends with him and the, his attorney getting back to the hotel. Um, chapter six was probably one of the craziest ones so far where they go to this casino-slash-circus-type deal wall on acid and have a very difficult time existing and end up basically having to exit the casino before his attorney just goes into a full-on drug meltdown. Um, and then this chapter ends um, with them driving back to the hotel for the night. Um, chapter 7... Uh, is pretty much just like this chapter where they get back to the hotel and have like a total drug meltdown (laughs) that I'm sure we'll talk about a lot Um, there's some pretty good references to the American Dream more explicitly in this chapter Um, and then the last chapter was super duper short and it was pretty much just him talking um, a little bit more broadly about this felt like more of a chapter where the actual author, Hunter S. Thompson talks more broadly about his feelings of the sixties and the love generation and where he's at now and how he feels about the whole things, how he feels about the whole thing and uh, like drug culture in that moment, um, which I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about and that's it. So that's the whole chapter summary done.
1: (laughs) thank nice. thank you round of applause round of applause for max those beautiful thank you very Thanks, much guys. thank you um yeah so generally i feel like these four chapters felt at least to me a lot more real right and a lot more heavy because it wasn't so much the like just the humorous side of things that we got through the first four where they're you know like yeah they're doing a bunch of stuff that's definitely not kosher definitely not safe but it had kind of this like whimsical a little bit like you know fun like we're going to vegas we're going to do all this fun shit kind of kind of vibe to it and then like these ones especially once they got back to the hotel which like you said we'll get into in depth it was a lot a lot more real a lot more heavy and uh and i i thought that was a really interesting transition and i'm excited to see what you guys thought of it as well but Before we start breaking it down a little bit more like that, Adam, why don't you hit us with your high and your low for the chapters? Putting me on the spot, okay. Yeah, putting you straight (laughs) on the
2: spot. Man, all right. I think my high is towards the end of chapter eight. Uh, It's actually like that quote that Sam read to start us off where he talks about where he says, Our energy would simply prevail. There was no point in fighting. On our side or theirs, we had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. He clearly has, like, a lot of nostalgia for this era in the 60s when, like, LSD was clearly, like, taking off and becoming a huge thing, especially in areas like San Francisco. And I think that was, like, around the first time that he did LSD, too. I think he talks about his first LSD experience right before this. Um, So it's just interesting to hear about, like, oh, this was kind of, like, his introduction to these crazy drugs that are now, like, seem like a very normal part of his life. Um... So it was cool to hear hear that. And I really like this little metaphor of the wave, um, this beautiful momentum. It's like, they're just riding the wave. They're not fighting anything. They're just doing what they do. And everybody is kind of just like on the same page. And he, he just clearly has a lot of nostalgia for this time.
0: Yeah, I like that. And also. I also, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I don't, I thought yeah,
2: sorry, one more point. There was a, a, a line right before the one that I read uh, that I really liked. Um, that sense of inevitable victory over forces of old and evil. I kind of like how he puts old and evil in the same sentence, kind of equates those two things. They're capitalized, old and evil. Um, So he's clearly like the 60s, this counterculture revolution was like fighting against these old ideals. that kind of took over post-World War II. Um,
1: Yeah. So I thought that part was really interesting.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
1: for sure. No, I... I really love the, the eighth chapter as well. And, uh, as long as no one else steals it, that's where my high is going to come from as well as from in that chapter. But, um, do you have a low in mind or do you want us to move on to someone else for a high? Um, I
0: do have a low in mind. I did
2: not like when they were tripping out in the hotel room, the attorney was like getting pretty violent and out of control. And I was pretty sure that he was trying to commit suicide in the bathtub. Um, Mm -hmm. So that bar was just like a little weird and sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Weird. Uh, we might, we, we could probably just make that like all four of our lows. Cause I'm, I was also going to reference that for myself as well. Cause that was when I mentioned it getting really heavy, obviously that's the kind of the area that I personally was referring to. Um, and I totally agree. There was like, you know, there was some like suicidal stuff going on there. And just clearly that, I don't know if it's just the drugs I doubt it's just the drugs I think there's probably some mental health stuff going on for the attorney in in that arena but it was a very tense and also kind of sad sad thing to read through and that's like it was just such a different like switch up the <laughs> rest of the book so far such know?
2: a departure from the rest of the books I mean thus far I feel like there have been hints of that type of dark side to drug use but that was the first time where as the reader, you're like, "Whoa, am I about to, is this guy about to kill himself? And I'm just going to read through it at the end of this chapter. And it was definitely like a, a butt clenching moment. um, When I was reading it, especially because how short the book is and how quickly sort of things progress. I was like, damn, is he really about to just die? Am I going to like get halfway down this page? And he's just going to zap himself in the bathtub with like his radio. (laughs) Like, holy shit.
1: Um, but anyways. Yeah. And that was kind of, that was kind of another one of those situations where, um, I feel like they, they narrowly avoided tragedy again, kind of how we were talking about in the, in the last episode where it's like, they have all these different experiences and different, like different moments where they could just, everything could fall apart all at once. And, you know, if, if Dr. Uh, Dr. Gonzo or Raul or whatever you want to call him, if he was like a little bit more high at that moment, it that so easily could have turned into, you know, his attorney dying, right? It, it just happened that he actually was like slightly clear-minded for that moment for whatever reason. And so like, that's like, that's the kind of margins we're playing with here, which is, that's why I was really kind of tense about it
0: yeah
2: do you want to just go into your high luke if, if you uh
1: yeah sure sure I'll, I'll hop into my high because that was that was clearly my low like i said but um <laughs> my high uh it was also from chapter eight and it's um it's kind of a series of a couple paragraphs i'm just going to pick out a couple lines from it at the end of page 66 going on to page 67 um Strange memories on this nervous night in Las Vegas, five or six years later, six. It seems like a lifetime, or at least a main era, the kind of peak that never comes again. San Francisco in the middle 60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. Maybe it meant something. Maybe not in the long run. History is hard to know because of all the hired bullshit. But even without being sure of history, it seems entirely reasonable to think that every now and then the energy of a whole generation comes to a head in a long, fine flash for reasons that nobody really understands at the time and which can never explain in retrospect what actually happened. First of all, I loved that we actually got some like introspective thinking in this book, some like real true, like, you know, reflection on it, because that's kind of what I was hoping for, because I love... I love the whole idea of it, like contradicting with what's kind of going on and how they've normally acted. And then, you know, hearing what Hunter S. Thompson actually thinks. Um, Secondly, I think that, you know, we, we all think back on moments in our lives and like eras of our lives with a lot of nostalgia. And, and I feel like that quote kind of really captured it. And then on top of that, you know, right now we're kind of living through a similar, flashpoint for our generation i think that's pretty fair to say right where it might not be us you know doing a bunch of drugs in san francisco in the 60s but like this is like the this is more than likely going to define the rest of our lives like this moment we're living through right now with with covid and with all the crazy politics stuff going on, all the crazy like right now we're recording this when all the game stuff stop is stuff stop, got GameStop stuff is happening, which is feels like it could have like a huge impact on how financial stuff works. Like all these major things are kind of culminating. Um, and in the last year especially too, like with the Black Lives Matter movement really popping off in the summer, um, in a way that, you know, I, I was extremely happy to see, obviously we're not happy that that stuff happened, but, you know, seeing like those kind of movements gain traction and like all this change is happening all at once. And I feel like this is kind of potentially our, our generation's kind of moment where it's going to like tick off or it is ticking off and we're going to look back on it and be like, holy shit. Like that was, that defined like our entire generation basically. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I was just going to add. And just in case you hadn't said that like the, the moment where he says that it's it's like a whole generation's energy for whatever reason just like meets up basically or it it's it, it sort of a flash in the pan moment where all the energy is on the same wavelength man i felt like that today a lot reading a lot of these posts on the internet about the gamestop stock market fiasco where everybody who is investing in it is In their late 20s, early 30s, they're basically our age. They lived through the 2008 financial crisis. And it's this huge moment of like, we're getting back at Wall Street that had screwed our families over when we were younger, screwed us over in our young adulthood. And it's our chance to kind of get back. It's probably the first time, other than the Black Lives Matter movement, where I felt like, as a person my age, everybody our age at least is sharing that moment. Maybe their views differ a little bit in the moment, but there's an undeniable sort of I don't know, um like river current of feeling and emotion that's pouring out of our generation. Um that's all we'll do on the GameStop stuff I promise, but um I thought that was like such a such an effective way to to think about um nostalgia and to define it where he's like, I'm not really sure if it was important still. And like, it might not have been. And to me, that's like such a, such a like powerful thought because that's how it is. A lot of the time where it's like, we don't really know. And you might not know for a hundred years before some historians like, you know what, this was actually important. I don't fucking know, you know? And like, that's what I think he did a great job
1: of in that chapter. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And on top of that, like, I feel like it, that, that kind of thinking is relevant to our own lives too, you know, where, you know, I and everybody, because that's kind of how the human mind works, you'll be moving through life and you'll get hit with, you know, for me, it could even be like the feeling of like a cool breeze with like the sun out hits me in like a certain way. And I'm instantly like transported back to, you know, practicing on the soccer field up in Ned with like my friends or You know, I'm, you get like a familiar smell of some food and you're taken back to an instant moment. And it's like these moments that at the time, you know, it's just another day, but then looking back on it, whether, whether we knew it or not at the time, whether we know it even now, it's clear that they have so much importance on like who we are and what we do and how we interact with the world. So I thought that it really summed like both of those aspects up insanely well. And that's why I really liked just specifically those, those like two paragraphs that I mentioned just felt like they, um, you know, they hit different for me right now, to be honest. For sure.
0: I think that this time is like you were saying, Max is also unique in that like, you know, for a fact that this is going to be a part of at least our country's history for like ever after that. Cause like all these things are happening that are like, the word gets used so much nowadays that it's almost lost its meaning, but unprecedented is like literally what's happening. And there's things that have never happened before that are happening. So it's like, it's kind of a weird feeling to know that it's like, well, something just dropped above me. Um, <laughs> it's a really, really weird feeling to know that like this is like, cause you know, we were kind of too young for nine 11 to really have that thought. And like, Sure, two thousand eight was like a big crisis that would probably we hear about, but I feel like this is the first moment in our lives where it's like this is a historical event that like guaranteed will be studied and like known about for the future and yeah, I don't know. I did yeah, like that. Like similar to nine eleven, well like things won't be the same after this. Like there
2: people keep talking about like this idea of a new normal after COVID, and I think like that happened after nine eleven. Mm -hmm. And I think that's definitely going to happen again. Like things are There's going to be like dramatic change in the way we live our lives for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, I speak for the the four of us when I say that, like we're, we're all like, we have adult brain now where we we like, I don't know (laughs) for the most part, have our own ability to like problem solve and critically think about stuff. So problems have a way they, they quite literally hit differently when you're, you're sort of thinking about them and because i agree with you sammy we're like the 2008 thing was like a little bit too like i was still too young to really understand why things were so bad yeah but I knew and it was pretty like bad.
0: complicated too like it was yeah it even was adults i feel like had, a, had trouble understanding exactly like what went wrong totally yeah and what i was
2: we were about 12 years old i guess most of us and it was like like, I'm dumb now think about how dumb I was then so it's like I, don't, I don't have any idea um but yeah I totally agree with that uh
1: that sort of statement yeah and just to touch on your point Adam that ideal with of like a new normal has been something that like I personally over like even just the past week or so I've been like like what the fuck are things gonna look like you know like like I know it doesn't make sense. And like, I know like I'm kind of just talking about my own feelings now, but it, it, the, the idea that like, we don't know what's coming at all. It's like empowering in a way, but then also it's like terrifying at the same time. Cause you know, it's clear that it's clear that we can like do things to change what's happening. But at the same time, there's just going to be a lot of just different shit. And it's like, will I ever, it, sometimes it feels like I won't ever be able to like meet up with you guys and just, you know crush some pizza and some brews at old chicago's or something you know what i mean mm-hmm. totally that's but, um, that's why i think that the analogy of the wave is so powerful in the book too
0: just to bring it back to like the text but like just that when you see a big wave coming you're there's not really a clear sort of like oh well i've seen waves before and like this is how it's going to go down like you have an idea and then like you, but sometimes you don't know like how high the wave is going to get and so like a lot of this stuff is just like to me seems like um that the wave is just like keeps getting higher and higher and like that high water mark keeps getting raised and like you'll be able to see it but like you have no idea how much higher it could get
2: yeah holy crap you know what this yeah. is listen i know that we are like if we're towing the line between totally tangential and not. But I do have to say, Sam, going off of that, I recently saw a video um, on the internet of Japanese fishermen floating over the tsunami that ended up crushing Japan in, I don't know what year it was now. But, you know, the, oh. obviously the tsunami that was, like, a total disaster and killed all those people. In, like, and Fukushima?
0: Like, that one?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, like, go over it. And they're like, oh, my God, whoa. I mean, hey, I don't speak Japanese. But <laughs> they were shocked. <laughs> and they were scared. And I was like, damn, dude, I can't even understand that. That, like, they go over it. And it's like, whoa, that was crazy. And then it goes on to kill, like, 20,000 people. And I, I really, really agree with that of the wave is so good because you can't tell how big it is you can't tell when it's going to break and then the other part is he's like he looks out you see the high water mark but other times like you don't a huge wave crushes japan and 2 years later it's like doesn't look like anything happened and you're like well maybe nothing bad happened and mm-hmm. i just love the idea that the wave is like um it's um kind of like it's hard to pin down in a way and it's difficult to predict it's difficult to appreciate it's difficult to study because now it's gone and you don't know Mm -hmm. you know and i I love the juxtaposition of like a couple of these chapters they're like scared they're going to get caught while on drugs and then he ends the chapters talking about like the 60s where drugs were like the thing and it's just the juxtaposition of the 60s and the whole like hippie love child thing and the drug use with like when he's writing the book and he and his attorney are like, Oh my god, we're gonna get caught, like there's that sign in Vegas of like marijuana, you're gonna do twenty years or whatever, and he's like freaked out about it. And so I think him ending with the wave of like, look where things used to be and look
0: where they are now is so good. Yeah. I would expand on that even more and say that waves have this nature of gradual uh like raising and then gradual declining. i feel like that as far as history goes is also a powerful image because like i mean max you know in our like french revolution history class it's really hard to just be like all right well the french revolution started right here and it's like yeah history since time is this ongoing thing it's really hard to pick a point and be like this is when it changed into like the hippie 60s from like the like Beach Boys 60s you know what I mean like it's kind of like this this weird wave where it's like all of a sudden more and more people are going to this doctor's house where he's humming in the garden and like getting interested (laughs) in LSD and then like all of a sudden you have Woodstock and then like after that you have this sort of decline in the 70s where everyone's like wait a minute like the 60s were sweet and everybody was on the same page and now it seems like a lot of us are burning out and freaking out in bathtubs and like, you know, <laughs> totally. it's kind of like, wow, this, okay, the wave is definitely declining now. Like, <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh man, that is such a great way to think about that. Of Yeah, the, the guy in his garden, he's humming, he's high as a motherfucker, he's having a great time. And everybody's like, dude, LSD, this is kick ass or whatever. And then like, you serve in Vietnam and come back, the next thing you know, you're in a bathtub. Bathtub with green water, trying to zap yourself with a radio. He's <laughs> like, "What the? Fuck? Yeah." Uh, um, did you have a a high and a low, Sammy? Did we do you already? No, I haven't okay. gone yet.
0: Um, my high was earlier in the chapters that we read, where they're in the uh, circus-themed casino. Um, just because I remember, uh, I went to Las Vegas on spring break, senior year of college. And Adam was on the same trip, but they actually went to California instead of Las Vegas. But a lot of the things that I was noticing around Vegas and kind of getting upset by it were the same things that he was kind of getting upset by as well. Um, just like that there's all this crazy stuff going on. And then like nobody really seems to care. Like that there's people literally like trapezing over them while they're gambling. And like no one even looks at them. That I feel like is really captures sort of the whole feeling of Las Vegas where first of all, like it's lots of people that are like gambling and wasting their lives away where he describes like them being at 4 a.m. in a dead casino, like still trying to win like that. That part definitely bothered me when I was there. It was just like, what are these people doing here at this time? (laughs) And then also just like the over the top showmanship of the whole thing. And, like, just this sort of, like, it is really a perfect setting to critique the American dream. Because it's just, like, so obscene and in-your-face with, like, if you have this much money, you can, like, do whatever you want. Like, make a casino that has wolverines flying in the air. (laughs) And then also just that, like, they're these two characters that are sort of in this super overwhelming space on drugs and like i just love the part this is the high of the high is when he's the attorney is like they're in the bar that's like circling the entire the the seats are circling the like center bar that's the merry-go-round yeah the merry-go-round and they're like freaking out and they're like okay we got to get out of here and then like the guy gets to the edge of where it's spinning and he's like i can't do this and I'm like <laughs> and, then, and, and then uh the uh what did we say raul was his name is like our main character is i like cool? i think
1: raul duke is like duke. his that's the made-up name that he made up when he was trying to go into the hotel or something oh. i don't know i don't i actually don't know what like the the col- is... colloquial term for each character is yeah. we should probably we'll figure call that out at some point protagonist he's like says to his
0: attorney. He's like don't move just stay there and then like the the attorney is so messed up that he literally doesn't move like at all like he, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't like you know go back down and sit down or something he just like literally stands there and waits for the entire circle to come all the way back around and i feel like there've been some moments where like you're in a place where you're just super overwhelmed you may or may not be under the influence of something and you're just like <laughs> i got to focus on like not freaking out right now (laughs) the only way to do that is to like you're
1: in in the you're in the back of the uber you're about to yak and it's like all uh, take all my energy right now it's just gonna go straight towards just focusing (laughs) yeah
0: and like (laughs) you know maybe that's saying something about like us that that's so relatable but it's also just like (laughs) any sort of overwhelming atmosphere is like that's like everyone's had that sort of feeling where you're like i can't get off this merry-go-round Like I need to just like focus really hard on not (laughs) freaking out. So yeah, I really like that part. That was hilarious. Who the hell puts a merry-go-round or puts a bar on
2: a merry-go-round?
1: Like that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I thought that was I thought that was pretty good symbolism too because they it specifically for like critiquing the American dream, right? Where they were just talking about like we found the nerve, man. We found like the main nerve of American culture. And you're like about to fucking freak out on me right now. Right. And then, and then he's like, that's why I'm freaking out because like we, we just found the nerve of it. And then they're on this fucking merry-go-round and he just like, he, he thinks he knows what's up at least, but he can't like bring himself to get the fuck off, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if that was an intentional image, but I felt like that was, that was pretty well linked with the conversation they were having before.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: definitely
1: yeah i like that part a lot yeah i also love like i
2: think there's been a couple of times now where his attorney has gotten into a, a like near catatonic state and then he's had to like shove him or like just like tackle him or well, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but the, the scene with the elevator where he starts to freak the fuck out and then the main character has to get him out of the elevator. It's just kind of funny. He's like this giant liability, but he's like the attorney. So it's
1: like, well... <laughs> I'm your attorney. Or, yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> As your attorney. I um, recommend we do more ether.
2: <laughs> also, going back to what, uh, something Max said earlier, you just made me think of this, Luke, is... When they see that sign about marijuana, it's hilarious to me that he's more concerned about getting caught with marijuana than he is about getting caught with like ether or mescaline or coke or LSD. All the other drugs
0: they have on them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like weed is the big concern there. He's like, we can't get caught with that. That's
1: <laughs> so funny. <Yeah,
0: yeah>. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Super yeah. um, Well, Sam, do you have a low or Max, do you oh, want to hit us right. with a high? Sorry,
0: Sammy. Uh, yeah, I'd say my low is just like how violent the attorney gets and like we kind of covered that but um max you just mentioned like the elevator scene and that part i was definitely like man like so unnecessarily violent and like freaking out like just like threatening like this girl hits on him and then he, like, threatens to stab and cut people with his knife in the elevator. <laughs> and then, like, later on, he remembers this girl and then thinks that some random, like, other guy that they are supposed to meet up with has stolen her for some reason. The photographer. And, like, yeah. And then, like, yeah. wants to go up and, and cut him because he stolen this girl that he also threatened to, like, cut. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> that just is such a backwards, like, drug-fueled train of thought where he is just like oh yeah that girl she was like actually hitting on me she wasn't being mean and then he's like oh that guy probably stole her from me <laughs> <And it's> like, <laughs> I gotta be mean to yeah. somebody let's go like this random guy that like I somehow stole the hotel key from
1: yeah <laughs> yeah. also <dude. laughs> also how he like after the fact when they're back in the hotel room like hours later and it has this whole realization that she was hitting on him yeah. and then it's like Fuck, we had such a good connection. what? I'm like, get the fuck out of here. So, Dude.
2: so I can't remember. Does that happen before he tells the story of the elevator or after?
0: I think Cause it I, it after. after.
2: Oh. Okay, because I thought it was before because I just remember reading it and being like, oh, a girl. Like, there hasn't been a female, you know, mentioned in the book. Like, did one of them like? like were they hanging out with a girl or did one of them sleep with a girl? And I just love how it's like, you had such a great connection and then proceeds to tell that story of like threatening to cut people's faces off in front of her and then like getting off the elevator. It's like, Oh, such a great connection.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that girl's going to be my wife. So dude, I funny. swear. It's
2: like, she fell in love with me. It's like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah, that was, that was definitely sad, but also hilarious at the same time, which I think is probably a good, uh, a good description of a lot of the moments in this book definitely for sure yeah
2: all um, right max i'll do my highs and lows really quick um since they've both mostly been heavy so far i'll just do uh, a pretty light one um my high was i think it's in uh i think it's the first chapter you read chapter five um let me just double check is it with the soldiers Oh, it's chapter six. No, I mean, that part was hilarious and super confusing. But uh, this part is when (laughs) they like get back to the hotel. Um, He parks the car, runs inside or something. There's some weird thing happening. And then he like (laughs) is talking about like trying to find his car. He's like, (laughs) he just describes it as I've been looking for a parking spot for what seemed like a very long time. Too long. I was about ready to abandon the car and call a taxi, but then yes, we found this space, which turned out to be the sidewalk in front of the main entrance to the Desert Inn. I had run over so <laughs> many curves by this time that I hadn't even noticed this last one. And I was just like, so funny that he's like, super confused, they pull up, the doormen are yelling at them, he's like, man, this is a great parking spot <laughs> It's literally like on the sidewalk, and it's just like... I love that moment of just giving us a nice view of like just how fucked up they are where he's like, I'm confused. I find a lot of space. Oh, it's in front of the fucking door to the hotel. <laughs> um, that was my high. Uh, I think my low. Um, man, I don't really know. We talked about the heavy ones. I don't have much of a light one, but I'd say like, of my, i guess my low would be the attorney um a number of times in these chapters like says honky and like some other like decently racist things and i feel like it's an interesting departure from the first couple chapters where hunter s thompson's character is like being kind of racist towards the attorney and then these chapters the attorney is kind of like a loose cannon on the racial front like there's one moment in particular where he gets really upset with the main character um and the other one of the other reporters and he's like oh you i think he says honky he's like oh you honkies are all the same like and it's this moment where you can feel like their friendship is not there in that moment you know and he's like oh like you white people are the same and it's been it was kind of like definitely a little bit of a low where i was like man it sucks that these two are like close enough to be on this like drug fueled nightmare together, but also like clearly have some like pretty significant racial divides between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd say that was probably my low of the, and then my, my most confusing one to harken back to what Adam said, and maybe you three can enlighten me, but I swear to God, I read this part like three times and Monica, my partner has also read this book and I asked her about it and she was like, I don't know what the fuck happens with the military guys? They just drive up in a Jeep and they're like, hey, dude. And he's like, hey, man, go look at that reporter. He's driving another Jeep. And they're like, all right, man. And they drive off. Like, what (laughs) the fuck happened?
0: What is that about? Yeah. Do you guys know? I think so. I I think that like he just,
2: that our guy sees these military looking guys. They've got all these like flags and like just military iconography type of stuff and i feel like our our main character who i want to call duke but uh, i think he's just like a little put off by that and he has this funny line where he like pretends to be on their side he's like i'm just a good patriot like you guys like you should go after this other guy who's not one of us so i think he he just like sends them to go harass this other journalist <laughs> that he was talking to at the bar that he didn't like okay
1: yeah okay. i think i think that is what happened cuz i'm pretty sure and i'm gonna i'm gonna do a little click clack look up right now but um the selling of the pentagon is like i know it was a movie i don't yeah, know what, if it was like was uh, i don't know if it was like a report yeah so it's like a cbs report basically and i'm pretty sure it had some not like great things When it comes to, like, you know, if you're a patriotic person, you probably wouldn't like to watch it. So I think Uh, that he just knew that and he just wanted to fuck with another reporter. And he was like, and he knew, like, that they would get pissed off when they heard that. So he just sent him down there. Okay. I was just so confused about, like, especially the
2: way their conversation went. I was just like, dude, what? Because when he's like, oh, a bunch of petty officers from San Diego or whatever. And I was like, is this like another weird drug trip moment where he's just like, oh, they were soldiers? I oh, don't fuck. They were from San Diego. I don't know. Or is this like him actually knowing what's going on? Um, but that makes sense, I guess. Definitely
1: sending them to harass
2: yeah. the other reporters. <laughs> Pretty <Yeah>. funny.
1: <laughs> one thing. One thing I wanted to touch on from what you said about your Lomax, about the attorney and the protagonist's like relationship, um, and how you said that. Like, that they're close but then there's like this divide i feel like to me i'm not even actually convinced that they're that close i think that they're i guess i just feel like they're close in the sense of they enable each other's like worst tendencies that they want to have enabled sure and so that's why they spend so much time together and like are on this trip but then in reality they're really only connected by their ability to like help each other get drugs and help each other get high so then when it comes to like these bigger moments i'm not really sure how they for each other they are or they will be in the future so that's it's going to be an interesting dynamic i think throughout the rest of the book to see whether that tension keeps growing or if it's just kind of a, you know the same thing all throughout type deal
2: you know totally yeah man i actually forgot to bring this up with um you guys earlier and we were talking about that that moment when he's i think you brought it up sam when they're in the room the attorney's freaking out he has the knife and it's this like kind of what you're saying luke where you're like oh man maybe these guys aren't friends because they're both he's freaking the fuck out and the main character is like basically treating him like a total stranger And he keeps saying, like, oh, this is what the drug does. This is what the drug does. But you can tell he's, like, scared for his life and the other guy's life. And I just wanted to say, like, that part of the book I thought was so well written because it just reminds me of situations that I've been in, I'm sure that everybody's been in, where you're with somebody or you see somebody on the street even who is, like, clearly on drugs. And they're, like, so far removed from reality. You're, like kind of anything is possible right now (laughs) with this person and i felt like the way he wrote those couple of of pages where the attorney is in the bathtub and then he like gets him out he has this clear-headed moment where he's like all right man like yeah you should get some sleep and he goes in the bathroom and then the main character like bars the door shut with the chair i was like oh man this is like so dark you know and you're like if the book had ended on that page with the attorney, like slashing his throat, I would have been like, damn man, drugs are crazy. <laughs> you know, like I was so convinced that something truly dangerous was going to happen. And I just really liked the way that he, I don't know. I felt like there was a lot of character development that happened in that chapter where up until now, our characters have just been like drug fueled psychos, especially the attorney. Cause we haven't really gotten any thoughts from him, but that moment when he's in the bathtub and he wants the toast, I mean the the bradio to be thrown in at the peak of this song, I feel like is such a like such a common drug user's desire, right, to reach this high point of a song or to reach this this climax of some sort of feeling. And I think what you guys had touched on earlier, where like maybe his climax is just dying, <laughs> like I feel is a, a legitimately. Um, powerful point to make about drug abuse and about drugs and about pushing your mind and body so far into the realm of like hedonistic pleasure that the only thing that can top it is like that moment before you die <laughs> and i thought he did such a good job in that scene describing all of that
0: yeah he mm-hmm. literally says that too he's like saying that he should tell everybody that his last words like that he just wanted to get higher so oh yeah yeah Yeah, Which is, like, profoundly sad. Oh, yeah. Super sad. And, I mean, like, yeah, that's just, like, the way that drugs sort of affect your mind, like, psych, or not psychologically, like, physiologically. Yeah.
2: Yeah, these chapters really made me think about, like, the weird irony or contradiction that is doing, you know, drugs like LSD, where you kind of take them to let loose or maybe relax or just, like your mind, but almost every time that they're doing drugs, it's having that opposite effect. Like it's causing them more anxiety. It's causing them to be violent and it's not having kind of like the desired effect, but they continue to do it anyway, kind of seeking out that desired effect. And when they start feeling badly, they're like, Oh, we need to do this other drug now. That's what will help us. Mm -hmm. But they never seem to reach that point of that. They're trying to get to of, like being free of that anxiety i think the drugs
0: are just creating more of it for sure yeah also um do you guys know the song that he was playing white rabbit i looked it up i didn't think it was a good song oh it's it's like (laughs) the classic like 70s drug song like really you'd probably (laughs) recognize it but it's just it's the one that goes like one pill makes you smaller and one pill makes you larger oh okay yeah yeah Interesting. Go call Alice when she's one, ten feet tall. No. Interesting. It's about it's about Alice in Wonderland, but it's also definitely just like you know drug, drugs the drug and anthem. pills and like definitely is is like starts really slow and builds into like this huge climax. So I know exactly what he's talking about. But it's in like so many movies, and I feel like I really like. Um, I was reading Murakami, and whenever a song would come into the book. I would look up the song and listen to it while I was reading that section. Nice. Um, I didn't do that this time because I had already heard the song and it has lyrics in it, which most of Murakamis are like classical music, so it's a little easier to read with. But yeah, I, I looked it up to make sure I knew what song it was and I was like, oh yeah, that's just like... By now, it's like such a cliche drug song, but I feel sure. like that. It was, it was kind of new. Um, one other thing that I wanted to... Bring up also that I thought was really hilarious is, um, that the race is in the desert and like, so many racers are involved in it that, and it's such a big race that like he's he literally just sees like dust for a while and like yeah (laughs) and like the army guys that they run into they like they literally can't find the race and um (laughs) it's just so funny because it reminds me of um uh, the scene in uh Star Wars Episode One with with the pod racing scene. Where it's like these guys are covering in this pod race are covering such a huge distance so quickly and like there's one grandstand with fans in it. And like what are they actually there watching? Like they only watch them like <laughs> speed away and then like two totally. more times they go past and then like that's it. That's <laughs> they, like it. the rest of the time <laughs> they're just watching it on like screens basically. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Which is, is so just, funny. Yeah, I thought that was really funny that it's just like Yeah, you you Really, the the thing that he's there for, that he's covering, is basically just, like, a bunch of dudes, like, driving away really fast and then making a bunch of dust. And then that's pretty much all he sees for, like, several hours.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he just leaves. He's like, all right, this yeah. sucks. I'm out of here. Yeah. Which I
0: don't blame him.
2: I also want to mention real quick before we depart from the bathtub scene. The, the artwork for the bathtub scene. Oh, my scene. God, oh, dude. Yeah. It's so oh, yeah. intense. It's like, oh. It's just, yeah. for me... And hopefully the reader, or the listeners have the same copy of the book we do. But, like, for me, dude, it just looks so much like he's equally as scared of himself as he is of everything else. And he's just, like, in the absolute grips of, like, a freak out, you know? And then he's got the knife, which is, like, feels to me like the symbolism of how dangerous a person can be where they can harm themselves or others or just inadvertently harm anything because a knife yeah. is it's like hey human nature can be violent sometimes and like when you're in your absolute most animalistic phase you might kill somebody <laughs> or even yeah. that what you guys talked about with the girl where it feels almost like the attorney is like an absolute like he's just a legitimate animal and he's like meets the woman on the elevator and he gets super territorial of her and then he, he, like, remembers her. He's like, oh, this other man definitely stole her. Like, I'm gonna go kill him. And that's, like, such a, like, primal, like, super down to the absolute basics of, like, the Darwinism, you know? Like, it's it's so... I just feel like the artwork was so spot on for how that mm-hmm. scene is described.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something, something I really appreciated before we move off of that chapter, um, something I really appreciated about it is... I believe there was a line in there somewhere where he essentially said like, once once the person is this high, you're not dealing with them anymore. You're dealing with the drug. Oh yeah. You know? yeah. And that's something that I think it's really easy to forget a lot of times whenever, if you're talking about somebody who's actively on something or somebody who is struggling with addiction or whatever, like it's, you know, at a certain point, the person is actually like helpless against what they're trying to deal with, even if they're trying to deal with it, like as best they can. And it's, it, it was just kind of a really interesting way that he talked about it there. And then how he also like knew in a way how to deal with this intense situation because he knew how to deal with the drug essentially and how he like went through those steps. And, I just I thought that that was a that was a really interesting part of a really intense and crazy sequence that they had to say the least. Yeah. That's a good point.
2: Absolutely. Um I just wanted to briefly mention there's one part that I think we've all been through where he describes um going through the turnstiles into the circus casino and he's basically describing what it's like to be on drugs or to be drunk. And he's like <laughs> But when you get there, everything goes wrong. You misjudge the distance of the turnstile and you slam against it, bounce off and grab hold of an old woman to keep from falling. Some angry Rotarian shoves you and you think, What's happening here? What's going on? Then you hear yourself mumbling, Dogs fucked the Pope. No fault of mine. Watch out. Why money? My name is Brinks. I was born. Born? Get sheep overside, women and children to armored car orders from captain Z. <laughs> it's just like i just love that whole sequence because i just have so many clear memories of like you show up to a party with your friends or you go to your buddy's house and you guys get drunk and then you're like I'm gonna go get a snack from the kitchen, and you walk in and you reach for the fridge, and you're like, "Whoa!" and you like fly it, and you like steady yourself, and you're like, "Why am I here? What is going on? Like, can I drink milk right now? Oh my
0: god!" <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's
2: just like such a great description of what it's like to be slightly out of your mind, but like you still have a goal, but it's just
1: you're so like fluid in your decision making, and I just liked it a lot. Yeah, and, and also the comment that he made where it's like saying that you're like you're basically observing yourself do all do all this like stupid shit, right? I feel like we've also all been there too, where it's like in our minds you feel like, dude, I like I'm on top of it right now, like I got <laughs> I got everything under control, and just in reality, like if you were looking at yourself actually from the outside, it's like, nah, dude, you. You should sit down and you should eat something and drink some totally, water real quick. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, fellas, do you have anything else that you want to cover from these chapters? I feel like we, we've we talked about a lot and talked about a lot of pretty serious stuff as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I was curious about what your thoughts, each of you guys' thoughts, were on the part where he is talking about. Um, circus circus and he says um what the whole hip world would be doing on saturday night if the nazis had won the war and that he says like oh you can get broadcasted as like this uh broadcasted as a 100 feet tall above uh the city and says like woodstock uber alice so i just was curious about what you guys thought it was on page 46 and 47. What you guys thought about his like parallels with like Nazis and gambling and casinos?
1: Well, Bro, I'm not going to lie. That was like... Whatever reference he was trying to make went over my head. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and, I was pretty confused. And, and I was like, I don't really want to be like, googling Nazis or anything. So much just NSA me. is watching out, my guy.
2: <laughs> um... I thought kind of I thought like I thought he was kind of drawing a parallel between um like the fanaticism that is so often studied in the Nazi regime and everything where the number one thing that glued everything together was how crazy you were about Hitler and like how crazy you were about you know nazism And it didn't really matter who you were or what your other situation was, of course, unless you were Jewish, Uh, as long as you were fanatical enough, that was good enough. And I felt like that was his view of Las Vegas was like, if you were crazy enough about gambling, crazy enough about the American dream, crazy enough about getting into that lifestyle, it's almost like Las Vegas had the same grip on its, I guess the people that spend the time there as like, the philosophy of nazism had on nazis and the people that were caught up in it and i felt kind of like when he talks about um a little bit later he talks about um let me just look at it really quick um he has a great line uh this is after the i think what you read sam where there's people that are awake at like four thirty on a sunday morning gambling and he says still humping the american dream that vision of the big winner somehow emerging from the last minute pre-dawn chaos of a stale Vegas casino. And I felt like it was like the people in that moment have the same devotion to their cause that like Nazis did to like world domination. And to him, they're almost the same in their, and the way that people are projected on the street, it's almost like the same goal of like just domination,
0: cultural domination,
2: you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's what I thought at least.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really good. I also, somewhere with Luke, I was like, wait, so I know that there's something here, but I don't know, <laughs> like, exactly what it is, so, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty much hitting the nail on the head, Max, because, like, yeah, just, like, that sort of devotion, and just, like, also, sort of going back to what he was saying about, like, everybody during the 60s being high, and, like, if you went anywhere, you could find somebody as high as you were. Sort of that same thing, but just, like, with people who are super... No, it, he doesn't mention specifically being addicted to gambling, but just, like, staying up until the wee hours of the morning gambling, and everybody's there to do that sort of thing.
1: Yeah.
2: Anything else you guys wanted to cover?
1: I, I think I covered everything that I want to talk about. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too.
2: I think I did as well. I did, like, the one little moment when he goes to bed finally after... His attorney is being crazy and he's like, I turned up the, um, I turned up the, uh, like the TV static. onto like a static station and I turned it all the way up so that I didn't have to think about anything. And I was like, Ooh, ooh if that isn't a pandemic heartbreaker, I don't know what is just like firing <laughs> up the distractions to drown out the, the other stuff. Um, I thought that was a really good one. Mm
0: hmm
1: yeah no absolutely and that's like such a i don't know i feel like a lot of the people our age who i know we all have trouble sleeping we all are like you know whether it's because we're so wired from being on screens all the day or what it's just it's just hard man it's just stressful out there and sometimes you need that little distraction to cool you down sometimes so.
0: you need the bcb book Club boys podcast to just lull you to sleep we're
1: sent subscribe, subscribe ladies and gentlemen. Donate to my venmo <laughs> actually just just wire your money straight to my portfolio on Robinhood so i can buy more dogecoin um,
0: dogecoin <laughs> just makes me laugh bro you're so laughing much, but bro. i've literally
1: like never we'll, we'll talk about it, later, it <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a dead story when it's on this podcast actually fucking releases so um so, reading assignment. We are finishing part one this week, guys. Woo! Oh, wow. Yay! I didn't know there were parts. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just part one and part two, but um, part one ends on page 96 for me, but it's, uh, it's basically chapter nine through chapter 12. That's what we're reading. Um, it's another like 30-page section, so it shouldn't be too bad. I'm sure there's more pictures in there. Just keep trucking and uh keep tuning in if you guys are enjoying it. Guys, any uh any parting words for our loyal fan base? Just ride the wave, nope. man. Just go over tough, that tsunami,
0: ride. don't go through it.
2: <laughs> yeah, listen, don't get caught in that tsunami. Just just do your best, get your little fishing boat out, hop over the top and go, oh my god.
0: And, and learn all. Japanese so you can say you can oh my god
1: in Japanese. Yeah, and then learn, learn, learn Japanese. Say oh my god in Japanese. <laughs> All right, well, from the book club, boys, peace out.
2: Peace out. Peace out.